Hello, my modern women. This is your host, Nicole Colantoni with Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman. Being 30 is such a grouse age, like, isn't it? Like, I love it. Like, it's just, I've learned more about myself in my 30s than I have in any other decade. And it just keeps like getting better and better. And I remember when I was younger, people were like, oh, you know, when you get older, they're your best years. And it's just looking more and more that way. Like, I'm, I'm just so in, well, maybe not in control because sometimes I don't feel like I'm in control, but I'm just like more aware of what I bring to the table, but, but not for everyone else, but what I bring to myself. And I'm happy with that. And, you know, in your 20s, like I really struggled with not being enough like for myself. So that's why I, you know, I clung on to men and why I clung on to the drugs and why I clung on to everything else. But being single and 30 to me represents like a boss ass, independent woman who- Won't settle. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, won't, exactly it. Like won't settle, like. Hello and welcome back to part two of my interview with former Married at First Sight contestant Haley Vernon. If you listened to episode one of this guest app, you would know that Haley is an adult entertainer on OnlyFans. After a recent conversation with Haley, I now know that she is also working as an escort. My modern women, we will 100% have to get Haley back on Single at 30 to talk about her experience as an escort and journey into solo motherhood. But for now, let's continue where we last left off. So how do you deal with the pressures and expectations of being a woman in the adult industry? Do you well, think I, that this journey, I mean, I, I know that you said that you want to get out of it within like the next 12 months, but do you think this journey has a time limit? This is going to be a bit controversial because I personally believe that it does. Interesting. Mm, I, and I know that a lot of sex workers are going to be listening to this as well. So I just want to like start by saying like I support everyone's individual choices, but myself, I don't want to have kids and I'm going through the journey of IBS and putting my eggs on ice at the moment. I don't want to have children and bring children into their mum still working within the adult industry. And a lot of people say that, you know, it's good because you can have that conversation with them. They can be independent little human beings and they can, you know, having those discussions. But I also don't want that little person to be fighting fights at school because all the other kids are saying their mum is something, you know, and I'm not saying that this has like happened, but just based on my personal experience where I used to get like picked on or teased because I was like the black sheep of like my year level, I just would hate to think that this is one more thing that a child is going to get judged for. And you know, I'm hoping by the time they're in prep, five years after I stop, you know, I, I highly doubt that it's going to be something that's going to be mentioned in primary school. Yeah, old news, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, and time just changes things so quickly. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I do, I do definitely think it has an expiry. And not just that, like gravity takes a hold. Um, you know, oh, I'm 33. I, I understand. I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm very intimately. <laughs> I, I feel you. Um, yeah, well, I turned 35 this year as well. But as I said, I know women like that are late forties that have been doing professional porn for years. For me, it's definitely a stepping stone. I love the industry as a whole, 
I've just been nominated for like an Australian porn award this year. So um, best new. Congratulations. So I'm going to go to the adult industry awards this year, which will be like really cool. I um, so did not know that that was a thing, but yeah, yeah why shouldn't it be? They fly all the big porn stars in from like all around the world, all the Australian ones, and they like got, you know, big like porn companies there and this, that and the other. So um, look, I'm quietly confident that I will get my award. Um, yeah, I'm hoping I'll get it. Um, it would be, be a fun little award to have like sitting on my mantelpiece. I don't, I don't even know what the award looks like. Imagine what the award looks like. I hope it's something fun. <laughs> I'm sure it will be. <laughs> So people come over for dinner and be like, what's that statue that's legs in the air? <laughs> that's my award. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think it has an expiry um, because of where I want to go within the next chapter of my life um, and also the fact that how much longer am I going to keep, like, the beauty side of things up and that kind of thing. Well, it would be a full-time job to keep in such great shape, right? Yeah, it it is and it isn't because a lot of like people like like real bodies and that kind of thing. I um, am obviously like really into my fitness because I, you know, I compete in bodybuilding and that kind of thing. But um, the hair extensions, the nails, the, you know, I, I don't really get my nails done. Like I get my nails done because like I film and that kind of thing, you know, I'm yeah, just all that kind of stuff. Maintenance. Yeah, I hate maintenance. It's, you know, on the days that you've got to go get your nails done and you're sitting there and you're like, oh, God, can I just like, can I go another week? And like you're looking at your nails and you're like, no, you cannot. You look homeless. Like go fix your nails, girl. Like, you know. <laughs> and I have such bad OCD. If like one cracks, I just like can't stop looking at it until I get it fixed. Yeah, I end up biting them all off and then it's just like it looks even worse. So have you ever felt like you need to look or act a certain way whilst you're filming? So not, okay. So, um, act a certain way. Yes. Um, that comes down to like, you know, the over exaggeration of the moaning and the oh, enthusiasm. Like, yeah. <laughs> like how much enthusiasm can you have when you've got a dick in your mouth? Like, oh my God. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like that's what it comes down. Like oh my god, without it looking severely unnatural. Yeah, like oh my god, it's great. Like feed me. <laughs> it becomes such a fucking joke. Like so, yeah, acting a certain way. But I think um, coming off the back of the TV show, I like I've had my nose done. I've had some work done to my cheeks, and that I hated seeing myself on TV. Like after show. Right. I had, I think I have like a really big complex. So I thought I looked a certain way. And then seeing myself on TV, I was like, oh my God, like these two images don't marry out. Like, who is that? Like, I hate my nose. And oh my God, like, I can't, oh my God, you can see my eyes from that angle. Like, oh my gosh, like, oh my God. Like, I'd, I'd, I'd literally be like this watching the TV, like, oh, they're showing more of my face like that. Like, don't stop showing my face. You know, it's so funny you say this because I read um, somewhere once upon a time that said, if you were to walk past yourself, you wouldn't be able to recognize yourself because we see ourselves in a very one-dimensional way, like standing in front of the mirror. We don't see ourselves like the back of us, the side of us. We only see certain angles our entire life. So that does not surprise me. Whenever I see like a video of me, I'm like, I don't look like that. Like I, I get, it makes me feel really weird. Like who is that person? So I can only imagine how it felt for you watching an entire season of footage. Mm, and that, that makes sense because like, yeah, I, I hated it. 
I hated it. And I, I've never really like loved my nose, but like I definitely got a nose job off the back of seeing my nose on TV. Like it looked like it'd been kicked in by a football. Like I, that's, that's like what I thought. And everyone's like, don't touch your nose. Like, so I have to step in. Wait, you're saying your original nose looked like yeah. it'd been kicked. Okay. So it didn't. That's body dysmorphia. <laughs> yeah, I do think I've struggled with that my whole life as well. And I think that comes from um, eating disorders as like a young girl as well and different things. And always like, you know, we're talking about before, like um, stepping into like that ideal woman, like, you know, the very feminine, like kind of woman and the blonde hair, tiny petite frame, like this and that. I'm, I'm a wog. I'm a Maltese by nationality. I have size 10 feet. (laughs) (laughs) I suck dick with enthusiasm. (laughs) I'm a real (laughs) go-getter. Um, I've never, I've never ever um, sat into that, fitted into that. So, um, yeah, I definitely feel like being like a media personality, and I'm like, God, that sounds like gay. I'm not even like a media personality. I'm a girl that was on a TV show, but being in the public eye um, has definitely made me like question my, um. Like my um, ideals of beauty within myself, and comparing them to other people, like that are my peers and my level. Like you know, I've got size um, ten D boobs, four hundred and fifty CCs at the moment. And every time I film, because I'm working with porn stars, like proper porn stars, not just you know only fans girls, they're at like 600 cc's and they're ease and I'm like oh maybe I'll get I'm so small and then my girlfriend's like how are your boobs are huge like what are you doing and but you know you just keep trying to match and match and match so that within itself can be quite unhealthy yeah how do you like cope with that I log into Instagram and like if you go on my personal account I've never posted before like (laughs) I completely do not subscribe to the whole selfie culture because like comparing just is, has such a negative impact on my psychology that I just have to avoid it completely. I can't imagine that A, you're, you have a public persona, B, you work in the adult industry where you literally strip down naked for your job. Like I, I just would get home each night and crawl into bed and just not know how to cope. How yeah, do you do yeah. it? I definitely think that it can take its toll, but you know what I found the most like toxic, like over the last year, and I had a small break from Instagram and now I'm having a bigger break last year is like, I would just like when I was bored, sit and scroll and subconsciously like take in like, God, she's so pretty. God, look at that boob job. Oh my God, look at her waist, she hips. Oh my God, she's, she's had a Brazilian butt lift, but not realizing like how I was processing that information all those impressions. Yeah. Yeah. And then I started to get sad and I, I I was thinking about writing a blog at one stage. So I started writing like notes on my notes on my phone, on my iPhone. And I was like, um, am I depressed? Am I this? And I'm like, and then I, the more I started like working through what was actually happening, I was like, I need to stop just having these images flooding my, it's like looking at a magazine, just flicking and just all these like hot girls getting thrown in your face and you don't even realize like I find that more toxic than standing in my skin as I'm very comfortable in my skin as a 30 year old woman compared to say if you if I'd done this like at 25 I would I'm I'm not confident like as I said to you before like it's strange because 
I can stand there naked and look at myself and go, okay, this is a female's body, right? I know that when this is how a female looks. But at 25, I'd have been like, oh, my God, that's hideous kind of thing. But I find those images of forced beauty getting thrown at me far more um, detrimental to my mental health than anything. Oh, me too. And there's so many filters and Photoshop, like so many apps now where people just completely change the way they look. So you're not even comparing yourself to something that actually exists, which is the worst part. So I wonder if I've still got this in my notes, but I can read it to you. Um, I'll have it, but it was about the filters as well, like in life. I, I will have it here. Hold up. <laughs> Where is it? So, okay. So it's like, um, remember to actually live, live a vibrant and fulfilled life. One you feel and see for yourself standing in your now. I was so consumed with capturing the perfect moment that I found myself re-recording moments of my life, trying to make a fleeting moment perfect. In striving for constant perfection, we miss the most valuable of gifts, times. We waste precious moments capturing and then trying to recapture the perfectly, all for the validation of others, all while unwillingly, knowingly diminishing our validity within ourselves. I found myself looking in the mirror, picking apart my face and scrutinizing my body, striving once more for perfection, not based on my ideal, but the ideals that social media was spitting at me daily, a very warped sense of reality. Every body, every face, not true to form, edited, filtered, retouched and tweaked once more in the unrealistic pursuit of perfection. That is so beautifully written. Wow. You should actually pursue writing. You think? Yeah, like you're talented. And that was just like that hit home. I feel like every single woman on this planet would be able to relate to that. Thanks. I, um, yeah, I just, I got to a point where like, I was, I was sad. Like, and I just, I didn't know why I was sad. And like, I meditate, I meditate quite a lot. And I just sit at the beach like in the morning and I was sitting there and like, I found myself like sometimes like looking in the rear view mirror of my car and just like my eyes filling up with tears and not knowing like, why like and the next part of that goes on like am I depressed like what what's going on and it wasn't that like anything in my life was troubling it's that all these like such high standards were getting thrown at me that I was like not living in my present and holding this bar so like unrealistically high that I thought this life that I had always dreamed about was not good enough like I've always wanted to be in this position that I'm in now to to be sitting in a beautiful house and to have a nice car and to have a dog. I was sitting there thinking like, I'm not good enough still. Like, like I'm not, I'm not doing good enough. I'm not, I'm not as beautiful as her. I'm not, I'm not this. And I was like, fuck, I need to like, I need to like take a step back. And within a week I put a post up on my Instagram saying that I will be taking time out from social media. I'll be stopping this um and i also came down to one of my girlfriends prior to that hey you know we need to work through this like what's going on and i've got a very small group of friends and she said how long are you spending on your phone a day and i said it to you earlier eight hours a day nine hours a day i was spending on my phone and everyone would say to me but that's okay because you're working and it wasn't because i was working it wasn't because i was working i was fucking sucked in with my head in the sand which was instagram burying my head in other people's issues, other people's problems, other people's lives, instead of watering my own grass, but taking on board what was actually happening in my like current situation and taking that step step back from Instagram absolutely put things into perspective for me. Although it can be a great communication tool, I truly believe that it is more negative, more toxic, and is more of a hindrance to 
young women as opposed to men, but although it can be a hindrance to men as well, but the marketing, the colouring they use, the flickering of the blue lights. I was addicted to social media. It was playing a really, really terrible, um, it, it was it was sliding out of control and it was making me lose perception of my reality and my reality was so good. I just like, you said it so well. I find like, I'm not even on Instagram that long, but I, my, I start getting a sore head, like a headache from just scrolling. And I'm like, why am I doing this? Put my phone down. Five minutes later, what do I do? Pick it up. And it's like this unconscious habit. Like we are literally addicted to social media. They've gamified social media. Like it's like, we get that sort of like dopamine hit you know, and I'm not even posting. So I can't imagine how people feel who are posting, you know, they want to check up on their likes and their comments. And it's just, yeah, it's really hard to disconnect. So good on you for like dropping it. Like you said, you've gone from nine hours to three hours, right? Yeah, I've gone from like that, that amount of time to what I'm at now, because I can, obviously my Instagram's gone, oh, yeah. but even, even prior to that, it had dropped down. But I even find myself now, like I've got like, just to show you, show you guys, I've got my Instagram app and where is it? I'll show you my Instagram app here. And in the logins, you can see all my accounts. I, I pick up my phone. None of those accounts work. And I, it's been six weeks since I've lost my Instagram account and I'll pick it up and log on. And I'm like, oh, oh. So you're so still doing it. all doing it. And it's been six weeks. So it is more of an addiction than what people think. And it's get becoming less and less, but it's still, I'd say like over 15 times a day, I grab my phone and wow. I'll, be, I'll be sitting at the lights and I'll grab my phone. Hi, Paley, like put your fucking phone down. Like, what are you doing? Like, and I haven't even got an Instagram to check. <laughs> so maybe this is all a blessing in disguise. It's forcing you to yeah. detox. Absolutely. But you touched on uh, having an eating disorder growing up, which is something I actually didn't know about you. Yeah. What did that look like for you and how did you overcome that? Or is that I, still a work in progress? So I, I, I know that I suffer from body dysmorphia. It's one of the reasons why. I don't want to say one of the reasons why I do bodybuilding, but why like I'm so addicted to bodybuilding and why I'm so addicted to gym. I When I was younger, I worked at Hungry Jack's as a child, like when I was like 16 years old. And I found myself like binge eating out of control and then feeling really guilty for eating. Oh my God, Hayley, I was a binge eater in my twenties. Yeah. And then it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy because you feel so guilty. And then in my personal case, I would then eat more to sort of like punish myself for the guilt and then you feel even worse. So it's like this repeated cycle, you know? Then you you end up being sick or like in my case, I, I was sick and then I'm like, oh, I've got it out. Now I can eat again. Or, and I, I, I keep going. And so, yeah, so when I was, I think I was 16 when I um, started, um, like, and someone just recently said to me, like, you had bulimia. And I was like, oh, I'm like, yeah, well, I guess, I guess so. Um, so we purging. Yeah, yeah, bad, really bad. So I did modeling when I was younger as well. I was always kind of tall, lanky. My sister was always skinnier than me. And not that my mum would play us against each other because my mum was very proud to have two very different looking girls. But Lauren would always get commented on like how lean she was a lot. And I wasn't overweight like at all. But 
I think that's one thing that's stuck in my head a lot, like not even realizing it. So it's definitely like taken its toll on me. And like, I've, I've been like a chronic dieter my whole life. Um, it's only really within the last, say, five years that I've got a really good, because I, because I, so I did my bodybuilding and then I started learning macros, nutrition and flexible eating. So if people to this day could say, oh, well, you're still a dieter because I record what I eat every day on my fitness pal, but I know that I've got so much fat, so much protein, so much carbs, whatever I choose to eat. Like I can go have a Big Mac, but then I might not be eating anything else the rest of the day. So I've learned how to sensibly control what I eat to be able to have a bit of everything where I would have nothing like but healthy food for days. And then I'd be like, oh my God. And like, I just couldn't stop eating to the point where I would feel so ill. And um, I was exactly the same. I could eat really healthy during the week, vegan, microfast by night, and then Saturday and Sunday to stuff my face. And you, it's, you just drop, like you feel yeah. terrible. There's no balance to that. No, and, and the, the depression that comes as well and the cloudiness like through your head, like one thing that I mentioned before, you know, with maths is that I wasn't able to eat right. Eating for me like is more of like an energy source as opposed now it is. Um, if I don't eat cleaner and I don't eat good nutritious food or heavily processed food, I'm not a very good like functional human being. Yeah, I would wake up every morning and be fatigued and have brain fog. Yeah, and just blame it on like a bad night's sleep, but no, it was like you're not eating properly. (laughs) Absolutely, all night not drinking. Like all I drink now is black coffee and water. Like, or or like I'll have like a sugar-free energy drink like prior to gym. But I like I know what serves me now. But I think like you know you've got to go through that in like your early twenties. Like it's like all this stuff like comes back to learning lessons and what works for you. It takes takes a long time. Like I'm 35, which I hate to say, like this year. But it's only really been over the last, say, five, six years. Like, I know what works for me and what doesn't. And sometimes I still fumble back to what doesn't. You know, 100%. I said, yeah, I said to my girlfriend the other day, she's like, oh, we've got to stop doing this. You know, we had a night out and we very rarely have a night out. And um, because, as I said before, like, I'm not the best on the grog, but we had so much fun. It was just a girls' night and it was a really good night. And she's like, oh, God, we've got to stop doing this. I'm like, you're telling me. She's a couple of years younger than me. And I said, like, when do, you, when do you start being an adult? I'm like, when does that start happening? And she, she goes, we are adults, Hayley. And I spoke to my dad and my dad's like, Hayley, he's like, I'm turning 60. And I still, like, have the mentality of, like, 20 years ago. He goes, but my body is not keeping up. <laughs> and he goes, that's just ha- what happens in life. And I'm like, okay. Doesn't that make you so concerned? Because when you're younger, you used to look at people your age thinking they had it so together and they could be trusted. And now yeah. you're just like, oh, no, you're, like, literally an eight-year-old stuck in a 35-year-old's body. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some degree yeah it's like it is, it is boring but it's also like liberating because you learn a lot of lessons but like that your like inner child is still the same yeah but that's the thing like that's the sort of comforting aspect is that we're all just figuring it out together as we go you know so what was it like working in the finance industry compared to the adult industry so my experience, I was always in very high pressure sales environments. I always like succeeded at them. Even when I was a drug addict, I did really well. I was a highly functioning drug addict. I, I always do things either at a hundred percent or I don't do them at all. You and so, me are exactly the same. Like there's no half-assed. What's that, Aries. 
Oh, I'm a Leo. <laughs> oh, well, so similar star signs, right? Yeah, yeah. fire signs. Definitely. You are um, such a Leo. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my God, you're like alpha I'm female. Fine. I'm like, this is me. Um, so yeah, I do things like at 100% or I don't. So in finance, I was in a male-dominated industry and I used to love that like I was better than all the guys and I kicked ass. But being a female within a male-dominated industry came a lot of... Um, uh, um, a lot of like bullying, workplace harassment, sexual harassment, wow. sexual slander being thrown at you. To be honest with you, it was really unprofessional, although it should have been a really professional environment. It was, it was toxic. And, it, you know, I'm using that word again, but it was toxic. It was, it was not a nice place to be. Like you did, sometimes you didn't want to go into the office. Compare that to the adult industry. And to what I thought would be like drugs and alcohol and this and that, it shits all over the finance industry. Um, people are morally sound within the adult industry from what I found in my personal experiences. And in the finance industry, it was all like cutting people at the knees. There's a lot of backstabbing. People want other people to succeed within the adult industry. That's the difference. How interesting. Yeah. That blows my mind. What are the women like to work with compared to other industries you've worked in, including the brides on maths? So, so supportive. So, so supportive. Like, as I said before, within the adult industry, everyone just wants to lift everyone up. Everyone wants everyone to be so super successful because if you're successful and I'm working with you, then I'm going to be on your platform and you're successful. It's all about like leaning back and helping people. Um, and I love that. Yeah, me too. Is there anything you've felt uncomfortable about or said no to while working in the industry? I mean, you mentioned anal before because you're saving that (laughs) for your future partner. (laughs) No, that's going to be like the highlight reel for this conversation. Oh, I won't do that to you. I can see that the the Daily Mail is going to be like, Hayley, saving anal for future partner. And like a little picture with like an ass or something. (laughs) Um... Is there anything that I have? Um, no, no, to be honest with you, because it comes down to those consensual talks again. So, you know, you have discussions, put it out there, what you want, what you don't want and go from there. How have your friends and family responded? It's funny. So I like, I've always been that person that all through my life, like, if something had happened that you'd said to my family, my family would be like, oh, it doesn't surprise us. Like, doesn't like, of course, like it's Hayley. Like, you know, I've always been someone to do things that are that are abnormal. Like, not that they're not abnormal, but compared to like the status quo. So I, I haven't really had a negative kind of response from anyone. I've had like a lot of like, like, Oh, really? I was like, and I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm doing. And they're like, be safe. I'm like, I am. Um, so that's been fine. As I said, like, my dad hasn't actually discussed it, like, in all its like glory with me. Obviously, my father is not going to discuss that with you, but he's like danced around it, and he tells me he's proud of me all the time which is like super lovely. He's, he's my number one supporter now. We, we've come a long way in our relationship. He knows everything that I do and about me, which I love. 
he um, has said to me, he's like, you're not hurting anyone. You are safe. You know, I, I tell him that I'm working. Like we speak to each other every day. And I'll be like, dad, I've got a shoot today. He's like, all right, call me when you get home. So I don't know what he thinks happens at shoots, you know. I can just see his poor little mind. Like, oh, God, she's, you know, rocking up at a strip club or something like that. So I, I call him when I get home and that kind of thing. But the overwhelming tonality from everyone has been that of support. And people know that I'm a big girl, that, like, I wouldn't take shit or I wouldn't put myself in a situation where I'm, like, I know, like, I feel uncomfortable, like, shooting, like, ooh, like that. But I'm not going to be put in a situation where, I'm going to be taken advantage of, nor am I, um, yeah, going to be out of control. And, I, and I'm always in control when I'm shooting, which is good. You mentioned that it takes three days for you to really recover from a shoot. How many videos are you doing per week? So I like I haven't I haven't shot a video now in three weeks, maybe two and a half, three weeks. I, I don't, I don't shoot every week. I've, I've got a, I've got a bank of videos. So what I generally do is over the space of a month, I will like say January, I went down to Melbourne and over a weekend I shot like eight scenes. I, I will release one scene a week for the next two months. So I, I have, that is amazing. No wonder you're like, fuck nine till five. (laughs) (laughs) So I have, I have, I have a lot of, I have a lot of banks content. So I, I can just like drip feed what I have or I can like keep working. So then if I like want to go overseas or I want to travel or I want to do something, I, I can like release it as it goes. Because what actually happened last year, I was recording, releasing, recording, releasing. And then I got, I got sick. And I was like, oh my God, I don't have anything to release. So I learned to have kind of a surplus. Yeah. Are you worried about judgment from people? No, no, not at all. It was funny. I went out for dinner. Um, When was it? Like a month ago, we went to Moo Moo's. It's really fancy steak restaurant in Broad Beach. Love a good steak. Yeah, love a good steak. Um, Was out for dinner with my girlfriend's parents and their friends. And like everyone knew at the table that I was coming and what I did. And this woman, she, I could see her. So she's sitting with her husband. Sometimes women, they get like, I don't want my husband speaking to you. You're like, and I'm like, whatever. By the end of the night, you guys are going to be best friends with me. Like, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say, if I had my partner and you were coming, I'd be like, honey, sit close to me. We're going to interrogate her. Like, she's so interesting. (laughs) What positions should we be doing? Like, all of the things. I love you. We need more people like you. But she was like, so it, it can either go that way, like the interest, or it can go the total opposite way, like, oh my, don't look at her, like kind of thing. And she was kind of one of those. And then I was like, I like a challenge. So I was purposely like beelining her for conversation. She was giving me like nothing. And then she's like, she got her little confidence up after a few wines. And she said, she's like, oh, so what do you do for work? Um, and I, I, I lent her over and I said, you know what I do for work. And she's like, but why do you do it? She goes, you're better than that. I said, how, like, and I'd had a few wines. And so I said, how do you know I'm better than that if you haven't spoken to me all night? And she just went, Ugh. and and I was like, and she goes, well, well, why do you do what you do? And I said, because I believe like in our age, like women can do whatever they want and that you shouldn't be held as a person, as something that you do to make an income, you know, you shouldn't, that should be the defining fact of your character. 
And How boring is it? Sorry to cut you off, but when yeah. you go to parties and the only thing people care about you is like what you do for work. Exactly. And it's like, why is that the defining like thing about me that you will care about? What about like what I think about day to day or my, what my passions are, what my values are? What is it? Why is it what I do for work? You know, yeah, it, it does my head in and not just that, like it goes to, back to like my girlfriends that have kids as well. They're the same. Like all people want to know is, is about like their kids. Like and they're, they're sitting here like, oh my God, I've just got dressed up to have a conversation with an adult. And all you want to know is about me being a mum. They're like, talk to me, interact with me. So, you know, that was the conversation that I had with her. So judgment, I couldn't give a fuck what people think. Like people are going to love you or hate you either way. You know what I mean? Like, God, like I, I spent enough years being anxiety ridden, not saying what I think to have the same reaction of people that I do now that I express what I, I think. So either way, you're fucked if you do and you're fucked if you don't. So you might as well fucking do it. Literally took the words from my mouth. I was going to say, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. When I was single, it's like, how could you possibly not have a partner? And then it's like, you know, how could you not want kids? Like just, it's never ending. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, who is setting this standard? Like, you know what I mean? Like, we as women are so much more and like I am here to break those molds so then other women feel comfortable. I'd love to have a little daughter that would like, you know, she wants to do whatever you want. Like, you know, be the person that you want to be, be spiritual, be holistic, you know, run for a prime minister if you want to. Like you do you, queen. Like, you know, you shouldn't be defined by society's norms of what you should be. Like you were born with a vagina. That doesn't mean you belong, belong in a kitchen. I'm not going to be like one version of myself for the rest of my life. I just, because like, you know, I have a vagina, it doesn't mean that I should be, you know, stuck in a house that I should be cooking, that I should be cleaning. Hayley Dale Vernon, as it stands today, is all these different characters, all these different attributes, right? But as a whole, that makes me as a person, one of those things doesn't define who I am. And progressively throughout my life, I'm going to evolve into so many different versions of myself. And I spoke to someone the other day that, you know, if you're not doing that, if you're not progressing and you're just sitting still in your life and you're stuck to one ideal of who you actually are, in my eyes, you are going backwards. You are dying. You are sitting stagnant. And it is a really unhealthy place to be. Like, And that petrifies me more than doing pornography for a living. Being only one concept of a woman that society pushes onto me and says, this is who you should be and living that. And, you know, I, I broke up like just, this is totally off topic, but it, it will make sense when I finish it. I broke up with my ex-fiance because I didn't want to stay in the suburbs and have meat and free veg for the rest of my life. Right. I wanted more. And I remember lying in bed one night and going, I've got anxiety because if I ever, someone had passed away and I was thinking, if I'm ever on my deathbed and am I going to have regrets? Like, what am I going to regret? And I'm like being in the same town, which is fine for him, but we grew up in a small town and he wanted to have babies and stay in the small town. Right. And I started thinking about that version of my life. And I literally started like having an anxiety attack thinking, oh my God, like I've spent so many of my lives, my, my years of my life partying and doing stuff and not living my true authenticity that if I live the rest of my life out like this, it is going to be a great hindrance on my human like 
spirit, my soul. And I was like, nah, I'm going to get away from this. And that's why, like, I just, yeah, I just think it's so important to just do you, don't worry about judgment of others. And that I think like one of my like tips of advice for like the modern woman, you know, would be is to be unapologetically yourself. I've got a tattoo on my arm that says being perfectly perfect. That the moments in my life where I've succeeded the most have been when I've come home to who I am and I haven't cared. I haven't cared. And that's going to, people's power is going to be different. But every time that I try and be someone that I'm not, things get away from me. Opportunities slip. The world synchronicities don't happen as perfectly. But when I am this imperfectly perfect version of myself, opportunities happen. Like you, for instance, right? I've, I've listened to your podcast for the last year, you know, me and my girlfriends, we discuss you and I talk about it. And, you know, I was like, oh, maybe I should go on a podcast. So go on a podcast. And the next minute, like you're inboxing me. And I was like, what? Like, I'm, because like I started like, and I was doing an Instagram story and speaking more of my truth going like, you know, like this is what I need to do. And this is what my calling and this is rah, rah, rah. And then opportunities happen, but you need to be authentic within yourself and there's nothing wrong with being perfectly imperfect. It's so beautiful. Like there's no perfect. It's so true. I read that like, I don't know, I feel like it was roomy or something, but it's like what you, what you're seeking is seeking you. And if it's not easy, it's because it's not, because you're not being your authentic self, right? You're pretending and then you're not aligned like on a frequency level, universal level. So like what you're saying makes perfect sense. And I also just love how you were saying before, like we're multifaceted beings to judge us based on one aspect of our being is just so wrong because that's just, it's not, uh, yeah, it's not the entire like view of who we are. It's Yeah. And it, it also like takes us back to like, you know, the 1930s, 1940s when women were so 1D, as you said, like we're just, we're so much more than that. Like do what you want to do. Live your life. Like this, one of my favorite sayings is that um, this isn't a test run. This thing called life is not a test run. Like you're not going to be, we are only as young as we are now, now. Yeah. We're never going to be younger than this ever again. Ever, ever. But, but even that. I always say that. It's weird that you said that. I literally always think it whenever I'm like with my yeah. friends and we're like vibing high. I'm like, guys, we're never going to be this young ever again. Like, isn't that yeah, even like, even my old man, my best friend, my dad, he's going through like a divorce at the moment, but I'm like, I, you know, he's getting older and I'm, I'm saying to, like having these conversations, like from my perspective to him going, dad, this is a good thing, right? Like, like obviously divorce is, is tragic, but, but I'm saying, dad, what do you want to do? Like, and, and he's, oh, I can't, I can't do that. And I'm like, yes, you can. I'm like, why can't you? And, you know, he's got me as a daughter that's always challenging him. And, and he's like, oh, I'd love to go, like, gold prospecting. I'd love to go do this. I'm like, go do it. I'm like, go do it. I'm like, who's stopping you? But, you know, because society, like, pushes all this on you that you can't or you shouldn't and rah, 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 fuck all that. <laughs> Throw away that manual. Start writing your own because, like, when you do, that's when the magic happens. That's when the universe has a way of just patting you on the bum. Like, yeah, that quote that you said sums it all up. It's just, it's just, it, it's magic. I, I can't explain it, but once, yeah. yeah. 
A hundred percent. I've witnessed it myself. And I so related to what you were saying about your ex-fiance because I had a very similar situation with an ex of mine where I saw our future together. And I was like, that's like following the path of like the expected path, like the normal path. And I was like, but my soul, it just doesn't sit right with my soul. And I walked away from what would make most people really happy. And it didn't even make sense to me at the time. And I almost hated myself for it. And it took me years to really reconcile it. But now I look at my life and I'm like, I don't know what each day looks like. I certainly can't tell you what tomorrow looks like, but I'm living my truth. And so it feels right. It's scary. And, you know, like sometimes I envy people who with the white picket fences and the four children and the husband, but I'm just like, but that wouldn't make me happy. And like you said, stagnating is my biggest fear in life. As long as you've got a curious mind and you're moving forward, to me, you're doing right in life. Preach. <laughs> I feel like you need to have like a Sunday sermon. We need, to, <laughs> we need these more regularly. Well, maybe, we can, maybe we can start Zoom calls and we can all just be like, woo. <laughs> yes, let's like create the modern woman like mastermind group. and we can. Oh, all- I'd love that. Imagine that little mind hack moments and stuff like that. Yeah. But like you're, you're exactly right. And that was it. Like same situation as you. Everyone would have been like, everyone was at the time. They think my dad still loves him. My dad messages him on like Christmas and is like, oh, Scotty this, Scotty that. Like, no, oh, Scotty's doing this. Scotty's got a new girlfriend, dad. <laughs> like, the dad thinks that I'm going to be sliding in there. Like, you know, we were together for like seven years. It was a long-term relationship, but I just, I couldn't do it. And say, same as you, like, I don't know what every day looks like. And some days, like, you know, I, I don't, yeah, it's just, when, when my time comes, like, and this might be like a little bit cliche, like I know that I'll know that he's the perfect person for me. Like, I just know, like, and even if it's not a he and it's a she or who knows, I might not find someone. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I just know that it's not going to be a cookie cutter relationship because my life and my spirit is not pretty cookie cutter. And God, no, I've been speaking to you for over an hour and I know that. <laughs> like, I couldn't, I couldn't think of anything fucking worse. Like I'd literally lie awake at night thinking, oh my God, like when is this going to end? Like, I can't like, I, as I said, like acts of service is my love language, but I don't want to give for go the woman that I am to give all myself to someone to be like, I don't want to be a cleaner for the rest of my life. I don't want to cook you dinner for the rest of my life. Like I need something back. Like this is not my like interpretation of what love and a family unit looks like, you know? It's so funny because when you just said moments ago, I might not find someone and instantly I thought that that like, it's so much better to end up alone, but have found yourself than end up in a relationship where you lose yourself. Very true. Very true. So no matter what, at least you're like being true to who you are and living authentically and living a life with integrity and dignity. That's all that matters at the end of the day. Most people don't do that. So to come full circle, how did you end up getting over your eating disorder? I I don't think I ever did like for the majority of my adolescent and junior adult years I think I became very good at replacing one toxic trait with another toxic trait to kind of cover root issues that I had going on so I had a lot of like damage from obviously 
the dysfunctional childhood, um, relationships with guys that weren't the best for me. And I just kept covering all these deep-seated issues with things that were distractions, I suppose you'd say. And so you've touched on it, but is that how you then got involved with drugs and alcohol? Were you just replacing them with your, were you replacing your eating disorder with drugs and alcohol? I, I wouldn't necessarily say that I swapped one for another, but I definitely kept trying to keep myself busy and away from the root causes to my unhappiness. And I've always been someone that hasn't really dealt with emotions very well because I've never really been taught how to deal with emotions and what was going on. I never had those role models in my life that would show how to do that in a healthy manner. So I'd keep myself busy. So or distracted. So the eating disorders was definitely like a distraction from like how I was actually really feeling. Drugs were something that, you know, even in the society that we live in now, it's easier probably on a Friday night to get cocaine than it is to get alcohol at sometimes, you know, it's just the world we live in, unfortunately. Past a certain oh. time in the night, for sure. Most like <laughs> bottle pops close at 9pm. Drug yeah. dealers are available 24-7. <laughs> but, um, yeah. And then my drug addiction happened. I had a few things that happened, say when I was between 17 to 22, I had like a friend that I committed suicide that was really close to me. Um, and it's funny, I just saw his um, memorial thing come up on his mum's page and, you know, it said it was like 19 years ago, but it feels still feels like yesterday. And I think for a big part of my life, I was stuck like living in this time warp where I thought it was just yesterday that it happened and I was reliving these moments but never really doing the work on the feelings that were around that so I just medicated myself with drugs and I did it for the biggest part of my adult life so from when I was 17 to 27 um I was a drug addict so I first started doing ice when I was 17 and I finished doing it when I was 27. Um, oh, maybe it's amazing like, that you look so good because it's my understanding that ice really ages you. Yeah, I, um, I've had surgery, obviously. <laughs> um, but but I'm, I never looked terrible. I was like always like a really highly functioning drug addict. But even at my lowest, like I look at photos, like I never really looked terrible. I was very skinny. Like I weigh 82 kilos now. I weighed... 59, 56 kilos as a drug addict. So it's like a massive difference. Um, yeah, they were they were like really like hard years of my life. Um, yeah, what did that experience look like for you? Homelessness, states of depravity. I was homeless. So I lived by the, by the time I was like, so I got kicked out of home when I was 17. I got kicked out of home because my mum couldn't handle me anymore. She couldn't handle the ups and the downs in my mood. As I said to you earlier about like the dysfunctional family that I started dealing with things in anger because that's all I had ever seen is my parents like yelling and fighting and the physical abuse. So I started getting physical with my mum and with my sister. They were a lot smaller than me. I was a lot bigger than them. Um, and my mum just couldn't do it anymore and kicked me out of home so by the time I was like 17 to 27 I'd lived in over 40 shared houses wow yeah which is huge and seen like everything in between those to 
there, there was like stabbings to syringes on bathroom floors to no. yeah yeah sh- shootings and just really violent crimes um I went to one of Melbourne's best girls schools so I went to Kilbreda Girls College which is like quite an affluent school in Melbourne and going from that to being homeless and not having the skill set to be able to fend for myself or although I say now that like it was the best thing for me to be kicked out of home I wasted a lot of time. You can't get back the time. Like I wish that I had learned all this in like a shorter period of time. You know what I mean? Because I'm just now doing things that other people have done years ago. That's the only kind of regret. It but you're still up- only 35. Like yeah, yeah definitely. You have definitely. an amazing life now. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm very thankful for that. But um it was, yeah, it was really, really hard for me. But one of the things, and this is going to be a bit controversial, and I was thinking about it last night when, like, I knew that I was talking to you today and thinking about, like, because obviously the drug addiction comes up quite a bit and, like, advice that I would give to, like, people that are on drugs and that kind of thing. And, you know, people say that drug addiction is an illness, right? And for ages, like, I would tend to agree, but, like, I was sitting and, like, taking inventory on my life last night and, like, I was, like, do I actually, like, think this stuff that I'm saying, like, all the time? Like, well, not do I think this, but, like, what's your opinion now as of today? Like, has it changed? I tend to think that drug addiction is a choice, is a choice. I think, no, I don't think anything that we do in life is a choice, right? Right. anything can become a habitual habit, anything, anything. Gym, to me, a habit, right? Me eating, you binging, habit, right? What gets us out of that is breaking that habit and making a different choice. Absolutely. So I chose to use drugs to not work on my family environment, my fear of loss, my... um, attachment issues my my mother kicking me out of home when I was 17 and still having my sister I chose to fill that void for so many years instead of facing the music and facing what was really going on in my life um I don't know like last last year like this is gonna sound so retarded but last year like I started vaping at one point right and I said to someone the other day I was like vaping is honestly the hardest thing I've had to quit Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then fellow vapors listen to that, having now heard your history. That was exactly the same response that I I got off. And they're like, are you serious? What? And I'm like, vaping was honestly the hardest thing I've had to quit. So with, with the drugs, like looking back on it now, I was more addicted to the fast life, the drama, that the, the, the drug was a constant and ice is something I don't want to like make it sound trivial either. Like, you know, any meds or anything like that, it's a slippery slope. But I thought that I was a part of something, a group as well. And then everything that you think that you're in control of, then it becomes the opposite. You know, these people aren't your friends. They're using you. They're breaking you down mentally they they just want your money you know what I mean um and yeah it just becomes a really terrible situation 
How is your relationship with your mom and your sisters now? So <laughs> I I haven't spoken to my mum in 17 years. I my mum, my mum, my mum, my mum is a very strong woman, but she's also a very broken woman as well. She had she had a lot that she is working on as a person as well from not just our family environment, but from what happened to her. And I think it's really brave of her now to realize that she's doing the work on herself because she can, you can only help other people when you've helped yourself. So she's, she's, she's now doing that work on herself. Um, my relationship with my younger sister, I have only recently just got in contact with her. So when my family dynamics broke up, my, my dad had broken up with my mother. My mum had moved with us two girls into a house in Langwarren. I'd been kicked out of home. So my sister stayed with my mum. I lived my life on the streets, did what I did for so many years. And my dad got to the point where every time I'd call, he'd be like, what do you want, Hayley? Like, stop calling me. Like, you know, it's two o'clock in the morning. Like, I'm thinking it's going to be an ambulance. And I think, are you dead? Like, what's got, you know, going on? And um, me and dad, over the years, I started, you know, doing things and calling him and like knowing that I wanted to change and changing my life. And he started seeing it and being my number one supporter. Like, he's so proud of me. Like, it's just ridiculous. Like, and I'm just so thankful every day that I made that change. And, and the fact that I got to rekindle that relationship with him, it would have been tragic to just chuck away that. So it takes a lot of courage to overcome addiction. So congratulations, like it's major. How did you get over your addiction and turn your life around and rekindle your relationship with your dad? Getting over drug addiction or getting over any addiction isn't, you don't flick a switch and be like, oh, now now I've stopped being an addict. So I just knew that I wanted to do better in my life and that, as I said, earlier in the conversation that I've always been a go-getter, always wanted to achieve more, do better. And I started putting things in place that things that I would say no to, usually I started saying yes to just to see what would happen. And then slowly, like my habits started changing. I started doing the opposite to what I had done all the time. And with drug addiction, it's not like something you just turn off like a switch. I relapsed so, so many times. Like I would be clean for two days. That was a big thing. I'd go smoke pipes. I would then be clean for eight days. I'd go smoke pipes. The gap in between using became bigger and bigger and bigger until one day it wasn't a habit. That's incredible. And so you mentioned your mom kicked you out at 17, which I imagine would have been like at the beginning or Mm. the height of your addiction. How did your friends and family deal when you were at your worst? They, They didn't deal. They just switched off. They just turned off from me. Um, I come from a like a Christian background, Catholic, where my dad's side of the family has drug addiction. His brother was a drug addict. My dad is like familiar with it. My mum is Maltese, doesn't have any of that in her family. My dad also didn't want his daughter to be like what his brother was, so couldn't deal with it. My mum just didn't have the support network because she had her own issues going on, couldn't deal with it. So I was really just like put out into the world with all these issues, this broken child, without the skill set to cope and just put on my way, like hoping that everything would work out. And 
it was like pretty fucking, it was crazy at some stages. I just, I don't like, I honestly don't know. Like I, I should, I shouldn't be here, but like there was something higher than me that was just dragging me along. Like, you know, stealing food to eat and, you know, in car robberies and just different, like just how I didn't end up in jail or like, um, yes, maybe something even worse is beyond me, you know, hanging out with like really bad criminals as well. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a miracle, but it's also a testament to the person that I am because I, I, I got so sick of it. I got so sick of it. I was just like, I cannot keep living this life anymore. Like, this is not me. Like, fucking and I also realized that um this is another one of my favorite sayings is that you've got to draw the line in the sand for yourself no one is coming to rescue you no one and for the biggest part of my life I walked around with a chip on my shoulder thinking that the world owed me something that why am I like this why am I going through this experience okay why was I going through that experience? Because I was a shit of a child to my parents, right? To my mom. She couldn't cope. She did what she had to do individually. What was I going to do from that point on? I didn't fucking do anything. I walked around blaming the world. Like, like you know, I deserved better and everyone else is so privileged. So I wasted 10 years of my life, right? Gone. Can't get it back. But at one point I decided that from here on in, I am going to grab the reins to my life. I am going to be steering. I'm going to be directing. I'm going to be in charge and I'm going to make it, make a positive impact on my life. Or if not a positive impact, I'm going to do my best at trying to move forward. And that's what I've done. Yeah. So you changed from having a victim mindset to mm. like a doing mindset where you just like took control of your life, which so few people ever have the courage to do. Yeah. It, it's, it's easier to say that you're a victim, isn't it? Really? Like, it's easier to blame everyone else but yourself. Absolutely. So yeah. what advice do you have for women who are struggling with their own addiction? To take, to, to take a look in the mirror and realize who you are as a person and what you want. And, and what's your why? What is your why? Why are you doing this? What is your why? I think it's so important in so many areas of your life. Like, what is your why? It's something when I started working with coaches, everyone would always say to me, from fitness coaches to business coaches to everyone, like, what is your why? Why do you want to do this? What is your why? Like, and it's such a powerful question because it can go off on like so many tangents, like from why you find like how you're going to do your why to what exactly it is. Your who, what, how, when, why. It sounds really basic, but it works. Conceptualizes like an idea and it can create momentum around it but what is your why so look at yourself in the mirror and like really hard to look at yourself in the mirror and like you'll cry and there will be tears because like myself I wanted to keep myself so busy that when I looked at myself in the mirror I was just like you were sad like you have no family you have no love you don't love yourself you hate yourself so much you're trying to kill yourself not not purposely kill myself but like I wasn't doing anything like happy. Like everything was just so bad. Like everything was just so dense. Like the energy was just like so unconstructive. I I had I even got a speech impediment at one stage, right? And now like I can't shut up um, because I had massive anxiety to the point where like I was stuttering when I spoke and that was getting worse. I couldn't look people in the eye because I was such a nervous wreck. You know, I became like a fraction of the person. A that, shell. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Michelle. And I just had to like, I had to take accountability and I had to take fucking ownership. And I generally think in today's society, it's something that's lacking across all factors is people taking accountability for their own actions. Cool. You might not have done the initial thing that happened in your life to perpetuate it like into this like direction, but what did you do when you recognized it to stop it going furthermore down there? So many people just run that gauntlet and be like, oh, woe is me. Oh my gosh. Like, you know, but this happened. And then you look back and go, well, that thing that happened was actually three years ago. And You're like, like move I, on. Yeah. But like, I've even been guilty of that. Like, you know, things to stand in time where you think, God, that happened. Like, it only feels like yesterday, but it was like three years ago. And I'm still like, you know, looking up their Instagram or like still doing this. It's like, you need to like, just, you need to move on. You need to move forward. If you live in the past, you're going to miss the future. Oh, I love that. I've never heard that before. So simple, but so profound. I don't deal with heartbreak very well. So I have been known to get stuck in like the heartbreak hall of death. And it's, and I just look back on those periods and I'm like, oh my God, you were so young. Like, why? Sorry to to cut you off. Even like you're talking about that situation where I broke up with my ex and you were saying that you broke up with your ex because we couldn't envision ourselves in that situation. I made that call and I just said just then, you know, you get stuck looking at the Instagram and I was relating it back to that. I broke up with him. It's the first time I have ever called off a relationship either because usually I would get broken up on. But then I was still like, oh, what's he doing with his life? Oh, but he was so good in this way because I haven't found anyone. And I'm just like, what are you doing? Like, I, I, need- I had the same thing. I told you I couldn't forgive myself for years. And it's like, what did that, like, how did that serve me? I can't get those years back. We're not together. I didn't want to be back together. It was, it's, it's so weird, but yeah, you get stuck in that mindset, whether it's a victim mindset or you're just not being present, you know, it's, it's so difficult to overcome. It is. And at the same time, you're grappling with the woman that you're becoming and knowing that that's not where you want to go, but you're like, but you're, you're not finding someone because society and everyone's going, oh, well, where's your partner? And you're like, oh, well, maybe he was good. Like maybe like, maybe right. I'm morning, morning what was, you know? And, and replaying like, all the good things that they did. Yeah. But, yeah, but you're well, no longer the sort of person that would be with them. So Jordan B. Peterson, he's got this great book. And in, in his book, he he says that exact thing that you should write a pros and cons list because like exactly what you said, you keep rerunning this highlight reel instead of all the reasons why you broke up. And if you just had them on paper, you'd be like, why? Like, why am I doing this? Come back to your why again. Why am I doing this? But it's interesting because when I reflect back on that stage, it was kind of like necessary. And I know you said, I can't get that time back. But obviously we look at it now as like wasted time, but you weren't the person that could be with that person anymore, but you also weren't the person that could fully move on. Like you were in that in-between phase because you were growing and developing. So it was like, it was a necessary time. It was like, we were like incubating. Do you know what I mean? Like hibernating. We had to sort of be stuck in between, like in limbo so that when we finally did evolve from like the worm into the butterfly, we were ready, but we just, it took that long. That was our that was our path. <laughs> it's a- true. That's true. 
You know, like if it wasn't for all of that time that I spent thinking and doubting and wondering, I probably wouldn't have the sort of insight and reflection that I do now, you know, perspective. Yeah, I love that. So we've spoken about it. We've touched on it here and there. What is your dating life like? particularly now that you work in the adult industry? Non-existent. Oh, no way. Stop. Really? Yeah, non-existent. I um... Wait, would you date somebody in the adult industry? No. Nah. Why? <laughs> I was like, nope. I, I don't... I don't want to say that I want a normal guy because there's plenty of normal people that do adult work. And it sounds like I'm like totally contradicting myself, but... Like I want a trainee, I want someone that's six foot two, which I've learned from your uh, podcast, which is only 2% of the population apparently, and that I'm really cutting my <laughs> chances short. But um, I... Was it 2% or 15%? Oh, you're going to correct me here, probably 15%. Was it Was it like um, earning over 150,000, six foot two? Oh, no, that's when my... Old colleagues did that, and there was a hundred and three men. <laughs> Sydney, that is me. That is me. And and I remember listening to that so vividly and going like, because that's what I want. That's what I want. And like my my scope is. And I was sitting with my girlfriend Harriet Tanning, and I'm like, have you listened to this podcast? I'm like, put it on. And we're both like looking at each other, going, oh my god, our ideals are so. So what I my dating life is non-existent. For a couple of reasons, I I don't want to date someone that just wants a porn star experience or wants to date me because of the Haley that everyone thinks I am. I want to date someone that has emotional intelligence and someone that wants to do cute stuff with me and someone that like, I love playing home and I love, although I said, you know, I don't, I don't want to like play home, but like I want to. I I want to date someone that is giving as much as what I am giving. And so far, I haven't found that. I found a lot of the guys that just want to have sex and the overly sexualized women um, on dates and that that's all the date. The purpose of the date is to get them home. The purpose of the date is to go out for drinks. The purpose of the date is to get drunk so then you can get, get a route. And for the longest of time, it really turned me off dating. Um, I was just like, this is horrible. I, I got banned from Tinder from life. I um I didn't even know you could get banned from Tinder for life. And I got banned from Tinder because I had purposely wrote in my bio like, "G'day, Haley, thirty. I was thirty two at the time, thirty two years of age. I am an adult entertainer. I'm putting it out there because I don't think it should be a conversation that should be just dropped on people. Say eight weeks in, if you're morally not if you don't think that that's an all right job, I don't want to just drop it on you and then have wasted your time, you know? So I did it. And yours. Yeah. I, I got an um, email from Tinder saying that I was sexually soliciting my services using their using their app, trying to advertise for my sexual services. So I got, I got banned from the app. And just recently when I lost my Instagram, I got a new phone and it has a new phone number. So I re-downloaded Tinder and... I am talking to a guy at the moment 
And it's really funny because when we initially started talking, I said to you, oh yeah, you know, I can't find a guy. I don't know that. And then literally within like a week of you, you know, asking, do you want to come on the podcast? This, that, and the other. I started talking to this guy and he does, he does um, fly in, fly out work in the mines. And it's funny because I told him like straight up what I did. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, well, look, I get the same thing with my job. And I was like, what do you mean you get the same thing with your job? And Not he's really like, the same, honey. <laughs> and he's like, oh, well, girls think that they can handle me being away for so long. And then when I come home, like they're really attached or when I'm away, they're like, can you come home sooner? So he's like, I get it. He goes, but like, for me, my job is a job. Like, and so, so we've started talking, like it's all, it's all very, very new. Like he's away at the moment, but he comes back in a week. We actually haven't met yet, but it's for, like, it was the second day that he was out on his um, fly out shift that we started talking online. So doing that has forced us to talk. Like, so for the, for two weeks now, we've just been talking. We haven't even met. And it's been everything. I was about day. to ask, are you single? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. yes. I'm, I'm, I'm very single. I'm very single. Um, yeah. So this is, this is only like so new. It's two days old talking to this guy. But the thing that I didn't like about dating is that no one wanted to have a proper conversation with you or get to know you. And I've met this guy and we're forced to do what I love, which is talk and to get, I want to know like, what do you want to do in five years? How do you want to retire? Do you want to like build houses? Do you want a property portfolio? Like, where are you going? What are you doing? Like, what's your past? Like, you know, and from not engaging in that quick kind of dating, um, what would you call it? Like, um, I don't even know the word for it. Like, you know, the, the, the noisiness of dating where it's like loud and it's like hectic and crazy and you don't really get to know each other. And, you know, my girlfriend's like, they sleep with people and go out and then they're like, oh, I don't even know his name. Like, I don't even know what he, how, how do you take your eggs? Like, what type of coffee do you like? Like, that's the type of person that I am. And that's why I haven't dated because I feel like I'm too in-depth for people that sometimes I'll be talking to them and I can see them going like, why is she asking this? Like I can see their brain going like, like, oh, that's weird. Is it weird or are you just not used to having conversation? Like, I mean, but you go deep, like asking how somebody wants to retire. Like, no, 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 like, not like, not like that. But like, but they, they have it, honestly, like within the last week and a half, they're the conversations that we've had. And, but it doesn't start off like that. Like I've just bought a house, like he's just bought a house. And then we're talking about our houses and then he's like, oh, you know, I want to like develop this and that. And he's like, oh, you know, because I haven't got money, you know, how, how's like, how am I going to like, and these are like proper adult conversations and my brain is, and my heart is just loving it because it's like, I miss this. And this is what like human connection is about. And, you know, even like my girlfriends, my circle is so small, I could kiss my own ass. I have like three friends, right? Three quality girlfriends. I've got a shitload of acquaintances, right? But the people that come over to my house for dinner is my gay friend, Eli, and three girls, right? One's in Melbourne. And the reason why it's so small is because I don't want to be like, how's work? How's the weather? Yep. No. Like, and I just, I really just have never really had time for that small talk kind of thing. I understand that to connect, you need to make small talk initially, but I can Do you though at parties, I'm like straight in. I don't know if you're familiar with Myers-Briggs, but I'm INFJ and we're like renowned for not doing small talk. (laughs) Really? Yeah. No. (laughs) I love that. Well, that's, that's pretty much the same as me. And then I see people and like, I will back them into a corner. And like my, like if I did have a partner at the time, they'd be like, Hayley, like, I think he wants to go enjoy the party. And like, I just, I, I like froth human connection. 
I love yeah, like, like, yeah, like, I'm not, like I love like proper shit. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so that's why like I wasn't dating. One of the other reasons why I wasn't dating for so long as well is because what I did for work, um, I found a lot of guys that I would meet um, after I told them what I did, like thought that it would be okay. And then like as soon as they'd have sex with me, they'd ghost me. And they just wanted to keep me around and tell me what I wanted to hear because they wanted like the porn star experience, which then in turn made me mega fussy and choosy on who I would actually allow into my life, you know? Naturally. Would those guys try to treat you like a porn star in the bedroom? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like... So there, there hasn't even been that many, but yeah, like just like the, I don't know, like, like I think men in general with me have always tried to like treat me a certain way in the bedroom. I don't know if that's like what I put out or that I put out that comment. No, I had a very similar, very similar experience when I was. Yeah. And yeah. like, like I'm like you, I don't, yeah. I don't do one night stands. I always preface with, I'm not going to sleep with you. And it's like the that's second it. they got me alone, they just like were very rough, very ag- oh. aggressive, very insistent. And I was like, right. I don't know what energy I'm putting out there, but it's not what I'm trying to attract. Yes. It's like, like, ditto, like all of that, like to the point where they were were kind of violent with me. Oh, absolutely. Same. Like, like I'm choking on your penis, like stop. Like, and that's like, it's, it's not attractive. It's not hot. Like, but this is after like weeks of talking, right? Like going on walks, getting coffees. Like I'm like, and I know that I fall in love really quickly. Well, not that I fall in love really quickly, but I do catch feels really quickly. Like, because I, I love love. I love human connection. But that's even like with friends. Like I either like, I will either like love you and get along with you or wait, you won't be in my life. Like anyone like, yeah. We're so similar. I like literally meet people and within five minutes, I'll be like, I love you. We're besties. Like, it's just, I just connect or I don't. There's a connection or there's not. And I don't fuck around with that. <laughs> Yeah. And I, and I feel that as well, you know, and like, I feel that before, like I can vibe off someone without them even saying a word. Hundred you know? I've always been like that. And yeah. So th- these guys were just like so far from my people and kind of traumatized me a little bit, to be honest with you. It's like, like, as I said, my dad's my best friend and I went to Melbourne last month. I'm the god uh, mother of um, this little girl in Melbourne. And then I came home and Joel, my friend, had had a baby as well. And I had like an episode. I had a breakdown. And I was like, oh, my God, it's not happening to me. Like, I'm like, when's, you know, I could feel myself getting jealous when I was sitting there, which is like a really unhealthy thing. And I ended up writing myself off. And I spoke about this on my Instagram, but like I ended up like having a complete I want to say like a midlife crisis of my biological clock. That's what's happening. And I was like, when is it going to happen? And my dad's like, Haley, like exactly what you said. Like you don't want the wrong person. You are happy. Bring it back to what you have. And then, you know, I started talking to my um, friends that are in relationships and they're like, well, Haley, you know, we look at you and we want what you want. And I'm like, yeah, but it's just... It's I like I couldn't like for the longest time even have the foresight to see how I was going to get there if I can't even find a decent guy to hold a conversation with. How the hell am I going to bear a child with someone when I'm finding it so hard to even go for a latte and sit across someone for five minutes and have a conversation? 
Like, and this isn't even being pessimistic. This is the reality of the situation that so many women are facing right now. I mean, I was out there dating. I was dating seven nights a week on the weekend, sometimes two to three dates in one day. And like, I would come home and my faith in humanity was gone. Like there was none. I was like, yeah, wow, I'm dying alone. And I'm okay with that after what I just witnessed. (laughs) That's so good. I love that. My my old roommate, um, when I was in Melbourne, she was the same, right? She was like, I'm going to have to go on this many dates. Like she had this like numbers game thing in her head. She ended up finding someone, but like I used to sit on the couch and just watch her and be like, unless someone's breaking in, I am not going to that much effort. Like this is hectic. Like she'd run in, get changed, go to work. Like she was, she'd dedicate like Tinder time on her phone, like where she would put. And then I was like, then I started like, she started rubbing off on me and I'd lie in bed and I'd think, oh my God, maybe I need half an hour a day to dedicate a Tinder time. And then I'm like, fuck, am I talking to Nathan or Sean? Who am I talking to now? Like I was like, I had a full time job. It's a full time job. But I went through periods where I would just be at home on Sunday night with a face smoke face mask and a tub of Messina and I was like unless he's crawling through my television <laughs> like it ain't happening tonight <laughs> like it's it's hard and then like I just yeah it's it's just it's a really really hard game like I like oh yeah this is another thing I got from your podcast god you're it's so informative like about the whole thing that like most girls like so about devaluing yourself and like so how you think you're a 10 but then as you get older you're actually like an aging depreciating asset yeah 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 yeah. so that really hit home with me as well and how the girls that don't think they're a 10 they they marry the good guys at a younger age and that kind of thing so that it has made me it has what I'm meaning by saying that is like listening to podcasts like yourself and listening to other people's stories about their life and that has made me not vary on my standards because I still know what I want, but be more open to a broader plethora of like men that I usually wouldn't go for. And they say when it comes to the one, it's often in a package that you least expect. Yeah. So we have this long list of criteria and when we're in our 20s and we're physically perfect, you know, we are dismissive of anyone who does not meet that criteria. And then once we get a little bit older, reach our 30s and know ourselves a bit more and what our values are, we are able to broaden that criteria because we're not looking for those superficial yeah. <laughs> uh traits or characteristics anymore so I think it's good because yeah the older you get the smaller the dating pool gets as well but also the wiser you get when it comes to choosing the right partner so I I mean that episode was that hit a sore spot for me because it kind of the book that I read which I was referencing in that podcast made women sort of like feel like they should just settle but I don't agree with that because if I I settled in my 20s I'd be divorced now yeah, I, I didn't I definitely didn't take it that I should settle, but the great thing that I love about you and the discussions that you have is it's a it's a really good dose of reality. This is the reality of the situation. And where I'm guilty of it. When I heard it, I said, that is me. I still think that I'm that fucking Ferrari. <laughs> you are, honey. You are. <laughs> I'm, I'm still filling up with ethanol 10 now. Like that's it's like <laughs> we may be a little bit more vintage, but <laughs> you're still a Ferrari. <laughs> But, but, but I get it. And it really like, it really hit home. Like I'm five foot 10. I'm looking for a guy that is, is taller than me. Like how many guys are going to be like that tall? Not that many guys. Like how, how many, like, but I'm, I need to bring like, 
And it's not that I'm always looking for the superficial as well, but another thing just quickly, I'm jumping around everywhere here that I find is that women have sat down and done the work on themselves if they're single and over 30. Well, this is what I find. I don't want to be biased to women in general, but I find a lot of single men, if they haven't been married, don't have kids, haven't done the work on themselves and are either still party boys, still want to just do the sex like kind of casual thing. I don't know. I just... It's funny you say that because obviously I'm 33 and there was a point where I was in my early 30s. So I was either like 31 or 32. And I looked around and some of my best girlfriends, like I'm saying the most beautiful, the most intelligent, the most driven were single. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, that obviously has nothing to do with them then. Like they're not the problem, but you're right. It's like men who are still single later in life often are like the washed up party boys or they are. are. And I've tried, I've tried like the older guy thing. I've tried the younger guy thing. I've tried like, so last year I went through this thing. I'm like, okay, well maybe I'll go for like the younger guys because they'll be like not more moldable, but maybe they haven't got as much deep baggage. Yeah. A hundred percent. Right. So maybe, yeah, maybe that's just it. Has your history with drugs and alcohol impacted your love life at all? I, so I've always been in like long-term relationships. So I've had like four relationships, sorry, three relationships, four. So three relationships over five years. And then the fifth one was on and off for seven years. So I've always been in long-term relationships. And I believe that the reason why I was in those long-term relationships is because I needed like a family. I needed support. I didn't want to be alone. So I latched onto these men at different times to fill that void within myself. Um, How good that you recognize that about yourself now? Yeah, 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 I do. And I'm so content to spending my days eating that tub of Messina, like you said, speaking to my dog. Like I literally talk to Cardi more than I talk to any men. Like, and I love that for me. Um, But I recognize that unless you're bringing value to my table of something, I don't really want you there. And, and that's, that's with anyone. Like I just, I'm so sick of just giving my energy to people that don't reciprocate it. But at the same time, knowing that I have enough energy within me to make myself whole. Absolutely. Yeah. The goal should not be looking for a partner to complete us. The goal is to find a partner yeah. that complements us. Right. So like I said, even if you end up alone, at least you're like, you will, will have found yourself rather than settling for a relationship where you lose yourself. Like, yeah. That's and I, the goal. Yeah. And I believe I have found myself. And um, being 30 is such a grouse age. Like, isn't it? Like, I love it. Like, it's just, I've learned more about myself in my 30s than I have in any other decade. And it just keeps like getting better and better. And I remember when I was younger, people were like, oh, you know, when you get older, they're your best years. And it's just looking more and more that way. Like I'm I'm just so, in, well, maybe not in control because sometimes I don't feel like I'm in control, but I'm just like more aware of what I bring to the table, but, but not for everyone else, but what I bring to myself. And I'm happy with that. And, you know, in your 20s, like I really struggled with not being enough, like for myself. So that's why I, you know, I clung on to men and why I clung on to the drugs and why I clung on to everything else. But being single and 30 to me represents like 
a boss ass independent woman who won't settle yeah yeah won't exactly it like won't settle like <laughs> level up or see yourself out <laughs> that's all I'm, I'm all about that big dick energy <laughs> like, i don't i don't need a big dick like i've got my own like you know you, what i mean got like big chick energy <laughs> <laughs> like and that's what it's all about like i don't want to look i don't want to mother someone i'm not your mom like don't come and this is another thing so many women our age have like Lauren, my girlfriend, who I'm going to like debrief about all of this with because she loves you as much as I love you. She lives in my apartment complex. She's like, Hale's like, we've got, we own houses, nice cars, good careers, this, that, and the other. She's like, guys just want to slide on in and be like, oh, like wifey material and then come, but, but not bring anything to the table. And she's like, I just won't do that. I'm like, neither do I. And like, my dad says this to me all the time. He's going to take half. Like, and that's just, that's the reality of the situation without sounding like negative. I don't want to be the breadwinner or the, I, I, I need an equal, like, and if you're not an equal, like you need to, you need to bring me something like, you know what I mean? And you can be the stay at home dad. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, no, you're looking for a partner, not a project. And you don't want to like take care of somebody you want to, you want somebody who will like do life with you. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. So if you don't meet the right person or have a family of your own one day, will you be disappointed? So I will have a family of my own one day because I've decided that I will, if I'm not partnered by mid next year, I'm going to do um, IVF by myself. Wow. Love that. Yeah. So I was like thinking about it for ages and like, I really want to be a mom more than anything. Wow. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I really, really want babies. Like I wanted a little army for the longest of time. I was like, you know, just a little army, three kids. You, you know. and I are so similar. I always say I would love a little army of children, two yeah. boys, one girl. It's just yeah. so crazy that you said that. I actually use like the term little army. Really? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what I wanted. We're soul sisters. <laughs> we are. Little army. And um, now like I'm 34. Like I'm not going to have a little army. Well, you know, I said on my Instagram, like before it got cut off that I'm like, you know, when I had this exponential crisis of my biological clock and all these women came out and they're like, yeah, but I'm 44 and I just had my second child. And I was thinking, God, like some days I feel like I'm 102. I'm not having my second child at 44. Like that's just, I know that, you know, sometimes it doesn't go without ideals, but my own story is not having kids at 44. So if this is why I'm giving myself a time frame as well, if I don't have a partner, there is no reason why I can't mother and father a child by myself. So particularly so with all that big chick energy. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like, you know, I, I have no doubt that I will be a more exceptional mother slash father figure than most families. You know what I mean? Like most dysfunctional families, should I say? You know Absolutely. what I mean? And I, I was actually talking to someone recently about how it's so sad that they make it so difficult to adopt children, particularly yeah. with a single parent, because yeah. there are so many willing single parents who would do a better job than most yeah. couples. <laughs> Absolutely. I think Australia is one of the hardest countries in the world to adopt which is absolute bullshit. Like there are just so many um, 
willing families, individuals to take on, even the foster care systems, like a headache to get kids kids out of there into, into good homes. Right. Um, so, yeah, so I'll go through that process. I've just started the hormones for the egg retrieval at the moment. So it's booked in for four weeks to do the first egg ret- log- lot of egg retrieval. So I had my AMH levels done two months ago and I came in at a seven. So AMH levels are your blood tests, which read your fertility. And a seven is like the lowest quartile of fertility. And my doctor pretty much said to me, I think they get from like a, they get from a five or a seven to a 40 or something when you're younger. Um, and my doctor pretty much said to me that there's a very slim chance of you getting pregnant naturally if if this continues to diminish. Like even at the moment, it's going to be pretty thin. So I'll get the egg retrieval done and then I will get a sperm donor. Um, and even that, to get a sperm donor in Australia is quite difficult and I'm going to have to get one from the US. Ridiculous. It is. It's super challenging. Yeah. Like it's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Like you're telling me that like, there's not men that, you know, gay men that like, you know, really want kids or, you know, you know, stories behind, you know, giving eggs or women that couldn't have kids by themselves that, you know, want to give up eggs for women that can't bear kids. And you're telling me that it's easier to go to America. Well, not go to America, but use a company to go to America to get your sperm or your eggs. I wonder why that is. I don't know. I think Australia, although we're very, very, this is my opinion, we're a very lucky country. We're a very politically run country. And I think there's two, like there are decisions that are quite easy to be made, but they, they play both sides of the fence and it's a political agenda as opposed to what's actually right for the humans that they're governing. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to have to get you back on the podcast to talk about your whole IVF journey. I'm so intrigued. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I um, want to start like a little blog if I like become a single mom, like a little blog about my baby mama dramas. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so when you do have a family of your own one day, will you be concerned if one of your children wanted to work in the adult industry? No, no. I um. I obviously make sure that I had a, a discussion around it first, that they knew what they were getting themselves into and that they didn't just do it. My journey into the adult space was a little bit different because of the platform that I was coming off. Having said that, I didn't really discuss it with my parents either. But based on my experience, I'd be able to have that discussion with a little bit of education around my experience first. And there's nothing that I won't tell my child either at at the right time, I will discuss the drug addiction, my experience with my parents, everything, because I think it's really healthy for a child to understand the pros and the cons of life in general. Like, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And having gone through everything that you've gone through, you have this amazing skill set now, which you didn't have when you were 17, like you said. So to be able to share that with your own children will be invaluable for them, regardless of how you got that skill set, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, really true. I've never like really thought of that, but yeah. Because your own parents weren't, like you said, able to equip you with that. So it's great that you can for your own children. Yeah. So you've had a very colorful life to say the least. What is one thing you've learned along the way? Hmm. It's an interesting question. The first thing that came to my mind was that 
we are like we're all human and what is one thing one when I say that like we're all human but like and this goes back on to like talking about my mom and just people and their experience that everyone and what you said earlier that everyone is trying to do their best in life and that I generally think that people need to take into consideration more other people people don't have to tell you what they're going through but just to be kind like just to like come from a place of like love and light and compassion from, yeah like it's one one thing that that I've learned and if you're not going to be nice it, it, it sounds so corny don't say anything at all yeah. but one one thing that I've learned is just to shut up if I'm not adding value or I'm not if I'm being rude or nasty. And that's why like talking about even the cheating scandal on maths, it wasn't me. It wasn't, I was, I was in a situation where I just, I went back to this like blue, outdated blueprint that was in me. But like, I've learned that doing stuff like that will set you back like five steps, but being kind and doing acts of service and being nice to people will just, it just like, what talking about like, um, kinetic like energy like things just start happening it's like a snowball effect so I've learned just to like try and always just like you know you will have shit days but just just to like live out of a positive place instead of living out of a negative place because nothing nothing is gained by living in a negative space as opposed to the positive it's so true and it reminds me of something that someone on the podcast once said which is in order to receive more give more Yes, it's so true. Like, and that's, that's honestly what I want to spend the rest of my life doing. It's what makes me the most happy. And like, I just, I see little miracles happen. Like when I give and like, you know, even just like little things like smiling more and being happy and, you know, you might have shit days, but like start like being this person that you want to be, like even fake it, fake it until you make it. And then you start becoming it. But yeah, I've just, I've just, one thing that I've learned is that when you come from a better place, better things will come to you. A hundred percent. It's like the laws of the universe, right? Yeah, laws of attraction. Like, and I'm big yeah. on that woo. Oh, on that woo woo. Like, I'm, I've, I've seen, like you said before, like I've seen it happen. I don't know how. I can't explain to you the physics behind it, but it, it's a real thing. We are born with more senses than what we have oh. as adults, without and, a doubt. Yeah, and if you lean into that and you tap into that and you use your mind and you just come from a place of love and light and compassion and heart, the world is your oyster and things just happen. It just happens. Like you said, like being positive, like the power of your thoughts, they create yeah. your entire like environment and reality. Yeah. So this podcast is about creating the manual for the modern woman. What is one thing you wish you knew earlier? One thing that it's okay to be myself, that it's okay to be loud and that, you know, I got told as a child, like a lot that like to sit down and to speak quietly and to conform, be pleasant. Yeah. Do, do this, do that. Cross your legs. Like, okay. Like, it, 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 don't eat as much as the boys. Sit back down. Are you going up? I eat way more than most boys. I know. But so do I now. Like, but like, I wish I had known the power of being my authentic self at a younger age, I, I I don't think I know that there should be more women out on social media platforms, out out at schools talking about real shit, real stories, like their bumps, their bruises, the 
their, their right turns instead their left turns instead of their right turns because it would make young girls feel less impressionable to all the bullshit that they are getting spun on a day-to-day basis. And we would have like little warrior, warrior women, like strong ass, badass women that believed in their identity and their truth coming through the ranks and the world would be a different place. Like I wish that I had known that. So I could have just like been comfy in my own skin to some degree earlier. Me too. Absolutely. Well, thank gosh, there's women like you who are changing the game for future generations. So thank you. And thank you. This um this podcast is bloody awesome. And I'm sure a lot of listeners will agree with me. The conversations that you're having need to be had. And it's just, yeah, it's a breath of fresh air to be able to plug in and listen to all your guests and what you guys are chatting about. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I could talk to you for literally ever. So I very <laughs> much look forward to our IVF conversation in the future. But Haley Vernon, what is next for you? What is next for me? I'm building a house at the moment. I am starting like a coaching and mentoring business for women that have gone through adversities. So I'm going to be leaning more into that. I don't know that that's just, that's the next little chapter, but I'm sure there'll be hundreds, if not thousands of things that I'll double into for the rest of my life. And I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. I can't wait to see what's next. Thank you so much for coming on the Single at 30 podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the last guest episode of the season. My modern women, don't forget to sign up to the first ever Single at 30 online event being held by psychologist Rachel Tacasio and I this October, where together we'll get deep about what it takes to attract healthy, romantic love into your life. I love you all and we'll see you this weekend with another episode of Sunday Dating Scaries.